History has shown that governments will inevitably succumb to the temptation of inflating the money supply. Seyfedean Amos, from his book, The Bitcoin Standard. What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of A Pleb's Take, where we jump down the rabbit hole, dive through my mind, and explore topics such as Noster, Bitcoin, and Freedom Tech. I have really been enjoying this show. It it has brought me a piece that I can't explain, you guys. Um, I know that there's like five people that watch this show on a regular basis, and that doesn't necessarily matter to me. What matters to me is that I'm getting out there. I'm speaking my mind. It's being received. Um, I enjoy doing it, and you know that's all that matters. Today we have a very special episode. My best friend Ryan is on the episode with us today. We go over a bunch of different things that a new person to Bitcoin would want to ask about. Would talk about. We talk about um, you know kind of like the direction that the world is moving, and and it's just kind of a flowing conversation between the two of us. Ryan and I have been best friends for you know over ten years now. We went to high school together. We grew up together. Um, we've been through thick and thin. We've been angry, pissed off, happy, sad, um, all the different emotions with each other. You know really like he he's he's like the twin flame you know he's he's just one of those people that always knows what's going on in my head and I always know what's going on in his so to get him on the podcast is a really neat thing for me you know we have these kinds of conversations all the time me and him like we'll get on the phone and we'll just we'll talk for an hour sometimes just having conversations like this and it was finally cool to be able to sit down in a professional setting recording what we talk about. And so, you know, it might meander a little bit. It might go kind of off topic in some places. Um, I hope that you guys will bear with that and kind of just continue listening to the crux of the episode. Because what it highlights is, you know, where where people stand on the their journey of the Bitcoin rabbit hole, you know, or Noster or Freedom Tech, really. I mean, where are you along that journey? What things have you uncovered? And what exactly is pushing you to find out more? And I think with this one, Ryan really, he really kind of explains the reasonings why someone like him looks at a thing like Bitcoin. And, you know, while he's been, while I've basically dragged him into this kicking and screaming, um, you know, he does He does recognize some of the good use cases and some of the things that Bitcoin can actually um, solve for. And and Nasser too. I mean, he's a music producer. He, he literally deals with audio all the time. And so to have um, things like Wavelake, where he can share his music and his tunes and his beats for, for free and possibly get sats for that is, is incredible. Uh, by the way, a little plug, he is, he just released his newest album, um, and you can find that on Wavelake, you can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, you can find it on all the major platforms, but check it out, guys, we're Bitcoiners, so go over to Wavelake, type in Wook Knight, it's W-O-O-K-K-N-I-T-E, so go type that in, go give his album a listen, and, you know, if you hit me up on Noster, and you, you know, tell me what song was your favorite and maybe give me a little explanation of why you like that song, dude, I'll send you a thousand sats. So 
you know, anybody who wants a thousand sets, it's literally going to take a couple of minutes out of your day. Go listen to the album. Tell me your favorite song. Hit me up on Noster and you got a thousand sats coming your way. I'm going to go over the Clark Moody's dashboard this morning real fast because I, I really do enjoy going over the numbers with people. I, I, do, I do enjoy going over the numbers because I think it kind of gives us a good idea of like where, where we are along the trajectory of the timeline. You know, I, I believe that Bitcoin is going to the moon and there's nothing that can stop it. But a lot of other people don't realize, you know, what what the immensity of Bitcoin is and the absolute overall change that is going to happen in the world because of something like Bitcoin. And I think the numbers kind of help to express that a little bit. So first number, my favorite number, guys, um, is the block height. So you guys know that. So the block height is you know, just how high the, the Bitcoin blockchain is stacked and, you know, every block that gets stacked on top of it makes that blockchain a little bit more secure. We are currently sitting at block 830,877. So we're getting very, very close to uh, block 840,000, which would be the halving block. And that is scheduled for about April 19th, 2024. And when that happens, guys, we're going to go from a Bitcoin supply issuance of 6.25 down to 3.1425 or something like that. I'm not perfect with fractions, but you guys get the gist of it. So <laughs> all these miners in one in less than a month, all these miners who are you know mining Bitcoin, their supply issuance is going to go from 900 Bitcoin a day to 450 Bitcoin a day. And a little side note, guys, I want to just, you know, pop this in. Um, if anybody's been paying attention to what BlackRock has been doing and like Fidelity and Vanguard, these major ETFs, they're buying inflows of Bitcoin in the in the thousands. I mean, I think last time I checked, Bit, uh, BlackRock had a total supply of about 84,000 Bitcoin. Okay, they're buying more. They're buying more Bitcoin a day than is being mined in a day and that bitcoin is about to drop like that supply is about to drop in half okay i'll just put that into perspective the etfs are buying more than the supply more bitcoin than the supply that is coming online every single day they're buying more than that and in less than a month that supply is going to be cut in half what happens to the price of of something that is in high demand when the supply gets cut in half. This is a lot of supply and demand, motherfuckers. Like, it's going to the moon. And if you don't think it's going, if it's, if you don't think it's going, like, past six figures, then, like, honestly, you should just sell me all your Bitcoin. I'll, I'll buy it. I'll buy it all right now. I'll, I'll give it to you at 51. I'll, I'll sell it to you or buy it from you for 50,000. It'll be great. You know, it'll be all great. But you should really re-evaluate this. Okay, look at the past cycles, look at where we've been and where we've come. Bitcoin is Bitcoin is going past six figures and it will do its thing. Um, we'll, we'll have price uh, fluctuations. We will have regulations in the, in the price and things will normalize. We will have huge five to six hundred percent upswings and then we will have 80 percent drawdowns. You know, it's that's just that's just what Bitcoin does. Stick to your guns, stick to your morals, stick to your beliefs and remember 
that like we're all in this for a reason and that for me that reason is because it's it gives me options it gives me the ability to save it gives me the ability to live the life that i want to live i mean we all know this so all right guys hash rate for the last 2016 blocks is 574 exahash it's gone pretty much parabolic in the last two weeks just shot straight up which is interesting to think about before the halving you know, how many miners are going to gonna go offline because they're unprofitable or how many aren't going to go offline because they are still profitable. Maybe the last cycle kind of caused miners to reevaluate their situations and look at it to see how they could be more profitable in the future. And I know you guys like to hear this. You like to hear this number, so I put put it out there for you guys. The total price of Bitcoin today is $50,790. So you can currently buy 1,969 sats per dollar. Alrighty, guys, uh, with the numbers and all of that, um, we're going to get into this episode. I really do hope you guys enjoy it. This one is, is with my best friend, Ryan. He, he's a major part of my life. I, I couldn't be where I am without him. I really do appreciate him. And remember, guys, if you need something edited, hit him up on Noster. He's happy to do it, and he likes to be paid in sats. Alright guys, we'll see you in the episode. Peace. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, I am uh, a college student. I am just learning to be uh, an audio producer, and uh, I help produce this podcast you know I uh, master it and edit it and make sure you know there's no clicks and pops and nothing like that and it's ready to be released we couldn't do it without you buddy honestly um but yeah no I am just getting into the the bitcoin scene so I don't really know a whole lot about anything you know so why don't you tell us like how like how did you get into Bitcoin? How did you hear about Bitcoin? Because I I know how you heard about Bitcoin, well yeah like, you obviously how do how did you hear about it like well I don't know you just kind of started talking about it one day out of the blue you know you just talk, started talking about how you heard about it and how it was interesting to you and I I genuinely feel like within a matter of weeks it was just it engulfed you and I don't know it just it seems pretty interesting it seems like an easy way to kind of help me save money because I'm kind of bad about saving money, mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like, I don't know if, uh, if I'll get hate for saying this, but being new enough to it, it feels like because everybody, everything is transacted in fiat, it feels like Bitcoin is not real money. And I'm air quoting. I know people can't see that, but so if I were to start saving money in Bitcoin, say I had, I looked at my, uh, my, uh, wallet, and I had $500 in Bitcoin, I feel like I would be less tempted to spend that money because I'd have to transact it into fiat to use it in order to, to transact in uh -huh. today's world. Whereas if it was in Bitcoin, I just probably wouldn't touch it. Uh-huh. I get you. I understand. I understand. Like not, not knowing exactly what Bitcoin is and like, like what it can do for you. Yeah. Um, and not really understanding the fundamentals is hard. Hard. I've been in Bitcoin for for two years. I've been like you said, it, it engulfed me, and I've just been consuming Bitcoin content nonstop. So it's hard for me to put myself in in your shoes as someone who knows what Bitcoin like is, like knows that it's an asset, knows that it's something that you can buy, but like 
what really is this digital money that I can just trade back and forth? There's right. nothing physical to to look at, touch, hold. Like, what is this thing? So. Right. Well, and then on top of it, you have, from me, uh, the worries of, you know, having somebody hack into my my stuff, you know, because that's happened to me before you know, with with traditional banks. You know, I, I had uh, I had a specific bank for quite some years. And in in I think the span of four to five years, I had my debit card compromised eight times. Mm-hmm. And that that's I feel like that's kind of ridiculous. I feel like that shouldn't that shouldn't be one of those things that just happens. Oh, you know, six months down the road, I'm probably going to get my my debit card yeah. compromised. You know, I feel yeah. like you shouldn't be getting a new card every four to six months because somebody else got access to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't want to get too much into the weeds about, like, how credit card transactions work and stuff. Sure. But, like, a, a lot of how, like, I understand a tra- credit card transaction is, like, when you go to a real t- retailer and you buy, like, a shirt or a wallet or, you know, you buy something and you go to the register and you give your credit card information to this, this card suite, what you're actually doing is you're basically giving the person, the retailer authority to run your your bank information they have your bank information and they are running a payment and you are trusting them to run the exact payment that they are saying they are so you're basically handing them the keys to your bitcoin wallet. like if, if this were bitcoin you're basically handing them the keys to your bitcoin wallet and saying hey take out what i owe you you know like like that's right that doesn't make sense and then your card information is actually stored inside of their server database so like your card information is being leaked and hacked to people so well yeah why. and how many times has that happened where you see in the news oh hey you know anybody that went to that chevron on you know west 31st street in the last two years everybody's credit card information just got yeah compromised yeah. you know that's happened multiple times well, so well, that that's... would definitely be another one of those things that i would want to kind of get into about because you know as somebody who writes their passwords down in their phone and, <laughs> and stuff like that there are you know corners out there screaming at you right now just so you know <laughs> i would need i would need to understand coming into this how one would do that safely and effectively and in a way that would make sense to somebody like me with ADHD, poor money management skills and and just the need to constantly be doing something, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know? So I feel being one of those people that writes their passwords down on their phone, it makes life much easier. Yeah. And obviously when it comes to my money and it comes to my future and my finances and stuff, I don't want I don't want anything like that to happen. Yeah, I understand. Lucky for you, it's a marathon and not a race. We take things step by step. You know, we build we build on on building blocks and the foundation will be Bitcoin and we'll we'll grow from there. The password thing, I I'll tell you what, I'll tell you plebs. This is the one thing that irritates <laughs> me the most about Ryan is that I'm like, bro, get your passwords off of a a file. Like, okay, one of these days we're gonna get you a, a cold card q4 or mark q1 or whatever it is because they got a password manager on this cold card so we'll get you a cold card we'll get you completely set up your password manager and all that stuff and we'll, we'll have you you know being a freedom techie in no time i just started uh when i when i create a new account for something i have google on the computer 
create one of those automatic hard passwords, you know, that's like four F A Z exclamation point. It's bad. And it just automatically saves it. Honestly, you shouldn't be using the Google for password management. I don't trust it. Well, hey, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm trying to change. We're going to, you know, and like I said, it's, it's, it takes small things like you're not going to understand how to properly secure your passwords and how to store your keys and how to manage your, your UTXOs and how to like like do all of this stuff straight out the gate. I mean, to be 100% honest, I am still confused by regular Bitcoin concepts on a daily basis. And I have to like reiterate all the things that I'm learning just to like be like, okay, that is how this works. This is, is what this is doing. Like this is how I do that. Like I just, I just learned how to clean your UTXOs and manage them properly. And it scared me because I sent my stack from one place to another place to clean my UTXOs and manage my UTXOs for the upcoming like having and stuff like that. And I was like, I was a little scared for a little bit, you know, I was like, I'm sending all of this money out. I'm sending it back in. Like, what am I doing here? So I can understand your hesitation and you're like, okay, what, what, what's, what's going on? Is this, is this Bitcoin thing going to, am I going to get scammed? Well, especially too, because you know, you got my wife who, isn't necessarily on board with the whole process of it. So if I were to make a, a, a silly mistake like that mm-hmm. and end up losing, you know, even a couple hundred bucks, uh-huh. you yeah. know, that would be the end yeah. of it for You'd me. Be the end of it. Yeah, I understand. We're going to, we're going to go over, um, kind of how, how wallets work. You had a question. What was, go, you go ahead and ask the question just so. So basically from what I've been hearing from you, there's, there's multiple kinds of wallets. So you have, you have like one, for instance, you have one that you would keep your savings mm-hmm. account in, for instance. You have one that would be your checking account per se, you know, your your ready to transact account. Yeah. And then maybe you would have one that's like that you're building up on to transfer into either of those accounts. Yeah. So so basically like you there are multiple different types of wallets. Um you've got exchange wallets and an exchange wallet is like when you have your your account on River, you know what I mean, and you you buy from River, and you, let's say you you transact fiat into Bitcoin, and you now have a twenty five dollar balance on River, that's a Bitcoin exchange wallet. Okay, so you can you can send to that, and you can like send out of that. Right. Um. So that send and receive button that you see when you log log into River, like that's that's how you're able to send out of that wallet. Now, when you send to your blue wallet like your your bitcoin wallet that is associated with that client the blue wallet you're sending to those keys and that's a hot wallet or a cold wallet depending on how your keys were derived okay so if you derive your keys from a from a device that is connected to an to the the internet through a connection that is a hot wallet, basically meaning there's an there's a backdoor, there's there's access, there's a third party point of failure that could happen where you could lose your keys or your keys could become vulnerable to something or someone else. Now, you might be okay using this wallet to hold a hundred to a thousand dollars worth of value. I mean, if if you're comfortable with that. Me personally, I'm not comfortable with holding more than about a hundred dollars in a wallet like this because if I lose that wallet. 
I don't want to lose would, more than about a hundred bucks. And would this be the equivalent to like the, a wallet you carry every day? Yeah, with cash. Exactly, in it. exactly. Like you wouldn't want to carry more than about a hundred fifty bucks in your wallet. Yeah. You know, if you got hit with a fi- with a wrench, it's called a, a five dollar wrench attack or something like that. If I run up to you and hit you in the back of the head with a wrench and tell you to give me your fucking wallet, what are you gonna do? You know what I mean? So right. You're gonna give me your wallet, and I'm gonna take whatever money you have in there. Well. I could do the same thing. Like you could have a Bitcoin wallet on your phone and I could do it the same thing. Be like, what, what's in your, what's in your Bitcoin wallet? You know what I mean? And you could have to pull up your phone, not saying you would, but you might for the safety, for your own safety. Sure. Are you going to want to pull up like the, the wallet that has your, your entire life savings on it? Or would you want to pull up the wallet that only has about $150? That's that's a hot wallet. You know what I mean? You have you have taken custody of the keys. You own that Bitcoin outright, but it's still vulnerable in some way, shape or form because it's readily transactable because the keys, the the mnemonic seed words or or not the mnemonic seed words, but the keys your private key is stored cryptographically on that device. Okay. Okay. so that's a point of failure. Right. Just like your your mnemonic seed words are also a point of failure. Like you've written them down, you've stored them somewhere safe. But if I were to break into your house and find that piece of paper with your mnemonic seed words, that is also a point of failure. But the thing of that thing about that point of failure is that point of failure is the same on every wallet. On every wallet you have, no matter unless it's an exchange wallet, because you don't get seed words for an exchange wallet, but like a hot wallet or a cold wallet. It doesn't matter. You're going to get the seed words for that. And that is always going to be a point of failure. And that's why seed seed word management, like storing them on a piece of metal, like titanium or something like that, is the best way to secure your seed words. Because those, those are directly tied to your keys for that wallet. Okay. So, so that's a hot wallet. Your cold wallet, that, that just means... So the hot wallet is a, your, your keys are derived... On a, on a device that is connected to the internet. And a cold wallet is your keys are derived from a device, created on a device that has no affiliation, no connection to the internet. It's actually called air-gapped, okay? So on an air-gapped device, you have no connection to the internet. So when I create keys on my cold card or my fountain passport, I'm, I'm creating that Bitcoin wallet key and the key signature and the mnemonic seed words on that device. And unless I do something stupid and I, you know, mismanage those words, those words are never affiliated in some sort of third-party phishing scheme or, you know, an attack on a database or anything like that or an attack on my phone. Because even if I lose my phone or someone tries to get into my phone, they don't have access to my cold card because hopefully I've stored my cold card in a secure location that, you know, only I know of. And when I go get it, you know, I have to type in a password and some other kind of security feature. So even if I lose my cold card, like nobody has access to my Bitcoin. Right. You know, does that does that kind of answer your question about the yeah. wallets? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Awesome. Um, and then so on top of that, would it be wise or beneficial to have multiple cold wallets? So before I answer this question, I figure I should probably say this just to like save my ass and our ass. This is not financial advice, guys. I'm not a financial advisor. Uh, We are just spitballing here. This is just us, you know, talking what I would do. Just just want to get that out there. I'm not a I'm not a financial (laughs) advisor and this is not advice. What was your question again? I'm sorry. 
would it be wise or beneficial to have multiple cold wallets? I, you know, I, I feel, I feel it would be redundant to have multiple hot wallets, mm-hmm. you know, so you would have one hot wallet that you could readily transact from. Um, and then like, like for instance, how somebody might have multiple savings accounts yeah. at their bank. Mm-hmm. So, so, so same type of deal or, or is that redundant as well because of the way that Bitcoin works? Well, redundancy is always a good thing. I mean, it's never, it's never a bad idea to have redundancies in place. Okay. So you could have multiple cold wallets, um, but that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to have multiple cold storage devices. Okay. okay? So the cold storage device can derive multiple keys. So you could have five cold storage wallet keys associated with on your one cold storage device or you could have five separate cold storage devices that all individually have sets of keys sure and you could but then you would have to remember five different sets of 12 words correct if you if you're trying to remember them in your head i don't think well i mean you know what i mean by that you would have to store. store yes exactly i think it's better to like maybe have one or two you know what i mean um i I'm a hardcore Bitcoiner, but I'm also not a hardcore Bitcoiner to the extent that I feel like you need to have all of these different cold stores devices. And, you you know, Bitcoin's supposed to help you live your life and live the life that you want to live. And I it's too much for me to try to deal with all that stuff. So I have a few hot wallets and I have one cold wallet, you know, and, and I'm kind of doxing my own information here. And I probably shouldn't do that. And somebody's going to be out there, you know, sh- shitting on me. But either way, like... I might get another cold storage wallet and like maybe store those keys in a secret secure location for redundancy just in case, you know, but I'm not going to store my entire life savings on that. I probably might, sure. maybe, maybe I put, you know, 10, 50, 10 to $50,000 on there worth of value so that in a pinch, if something happens, I know that that's there. You okay. know what I mean? Or, you know, I, I, what if you want to set up like a college fund for your daughter or for your kid? You know, you could have a cold storage wallet for them and you could have that on your cold storage device associated, you know, this, you could have both yours and theirs, and you could transfer savings to that one and, and have access to it. So yeah. you can set up as many cold storage wallets as you want. The redundancy is up to you. It, it really depends on your risk profile and how like intense you want to make it sure that's the great thing about bitcoin and like all the devices and technology that they have is you can go as far or as little as you want to go so i think the next thing i would want to go over more would just be nostr in itself um i feel like that's i I know that uh you you have previously done an episode on nostr Mm -hmm. again as somebody who kind of just got into something like this you know so the way that I see it, the way that I've, I've kind of like come to understand it is Noster is like the internet in itself because everything that you do on Noster would be like the different apps and stuff that you would do. You know what I'm saying? I, I think we're going to cut that out because I sound like an idiot. I, we're not going to cut that out. <laughs> we're going to leave that in there. But I, I don't think that it's like it's not like the internet. It's. So going back to it, you have to think of like the layers, okay? It's a protocol, okay? And a protocol is just, 
it's like a language. Like English is a protocol, okay? It's it's something that we all recognize as the rules. Like these are the words, this is what this means. And if I speak English, I can speak English to you and you understand me because you also know the rules, okay? Sure. Noster is just like that, but it's on the internet. So the internet is like the first layer, you know, and then it's the internet's a protocol. It's a protocol layer. And Noster is then a layer that is put on top of the internet. It's another protocol layer that functions on top of the protocol of the internet. Okay, so now everything that's done through a Noster integration is now done not only using the internet protocol, but also the Noster protocol. So clients like Wavelength, which is a music platform that allow you to listen to post and, and stuff like that. You as a producer, you know music. So that client connects to using the Noster protocol and it builds its client. It builds its platform on the Noster protocol. And anyone who builds on the Noster protocol can then interact with each other using the same language. Okay. But the platform that Wavelake is building is just that it's a platform it's kind of a walled garden and stuff like that but being on the Noster pro protocol it allows for interoperability between other um other platforms sure that makes i i think that's the best way to describe that so essentially whether i'm on primal or wave lake or amethyst i'm on Noster. well I think so. I think like Nor Noster with like the Amethyst and the Snort, those are like the, the client clients that allow you to you to send messages and receive messages. Yeah. You know, you can see other people. They're like messages. the social medias. But the the client of Wavelake is I think it's a little different because obviously you can't see like your Noster profile messages right. on your on your client of Wavelake. But it uses your NIP, like your Noster um NSEC and stuff like it uses your public key to like know who you are through the app. So okay. it's, it's, they're connected, you know, they're, they're, it's a network of connectivity. When I'm on my phone on Amethyst doing whatever, mm -hmm. and then I get on my laptop and I get onto Primal, I can see like all the messages that have been yeah. sent and received on Amethyst on my phone yeah. on my laptop. They're, they're two different clients, but they both connect to this. They both connect to the same relays and the same, like you just, you notice how you see them differently. Yeah. You go on Amethyst and you see the layout a little differently. Which, which I think is what confuses me the most about it. Because like, for instance, if you take like Facebook, for example, yeah. right. If you have Noster and then you have uh, like Primal and Amethyst are on Noster, right. Would Facebook be like Primal or would Facebook be Noster? Facebook would be technically in this scenario would be Noster. The difference being is that Facebook in and of itself is a platform. Right. They don't want you going outside of their platform to interact with other people. Because then you can you can share media, you can message, you can receive right. messaging. Right. So those would all be the different quote unquote clients on the protocol. What would Which, be the clients? Like Messenger. Like Facebook Messenger would be a client on the protocol of Facebook itself. Yeah, I don't... No, I don't think so. I think no. I'm going in the... No. So clients are just like... I'm trying to think of a good way to explain this. So clients can be different. 
you know, they can all be different. And it's just the way that you see it, you know? Okay, so Google, the way that Google searches for information and data, okay? It looks different than the way that Bing searches and looks for data. Sure. Okay, you might get different aggregated data from Bing than you do from Google, okay? Sure. They both speak the internet protocol. They're both searching through the internet of things, but they're doing it in a different way because the people who designed that client, Google or Bing, they want you to see it a different way, okay? With Noster, Noster would be, in this scenario, Noster is the internet. And Primal is Google, and Bing is Amethyst. Okay. okay. They both show you the same data for the most part, but they show you in different ways. Okay. Okay. There's different types of clients out there that allow you to share blog posts, that allow you to show long form videos, that aggregate data in a certain way that makes it look like a Twitter feed, um, one that makes it look like something else, you know? So it's, it's really user interoperability like the user chooses what they want to do um like if you are really into quilts and stuff like that and you want to share blog posts on quilts you could create like a quilting client that connects to a to certain relays and you might see your feed in a certain way that's referenced to quilts. I, I think that's the best way to sure. describe that, but it's not necessarily like you can only see that data through primal or through not. Right. And you well, and that's the main reason I ask Cause like, for instance, when you go on Facebook and you send or receive a Facebook message, Instagram is run by Facebook, right? Like, right. like the creators of Facebook made Instagram. Right. Well, when I send and receive a message on Facebook, I can't go on to Instagram and see that my message. Facebook messages. Yeah, because however, two different platforms. However, when I go on Amethyst and I send and receive a message and then I go on Primal, I can. Yeah. I can see it exactly, not exactly the same. It's like in a different format, but it's the same message from the same person. It goes back to what I was saying about platforms and protocols. So because... Because Noster is a protocol and Amethyst and Primal both speak the same protocol language. They can show you the same data, the same same stuff, okay? Okay. And you can you can communicate between clients that speak that protocol. Because just because Facebook own like Meta owns Instagram and owns Facebook, Instagram and Facebook are two separate platforms. Right. And because they're platforms, that means they're walled off. They do not connect between each other. You can't send a message from Facebook to Instagram. It doesn't work that way because they don't speak the same language. It's like Korean and, and you know, Spanish. They don't speak the same language. It doesn't, it doesn't correspond. It doesn't connect. But Noster is English all through and through. So if I send a message through Noster, you're going to be able to see it whether you open up Primal or whether you open up... Um, so then at that point, it's just user preference. Exactly. Other That's... than the fact that I can't use Amethyst on my computer. Yes, yes, exactly. It, it comes down to user preference and, and what you like more. So then theoretically, if I didn't like Amethyst or Primal, I could create my own... Absolutely. Absolutely. You could go and download the code that, that is required to connect to Noster, and you could create your own client. Now, because it's on Noster, would I have to be able to, like, so for instance, if I were to set up something like that, would I have to have, like, a certain amount of people get on and, like, be actively 
posting and communicating no, on no. that, or it would just be it would just be out there in so, the void so for someone not. to find. Because the relays are what actually send the data back and forth. Okay? okay, the relays communicate with the client. The client is just like the graphic user interface, a GUI. It allows you to see the data that is coming through. You know, as long as you create a proper software software client that does connect to the relay, sure, sure. you're going to aggregate all the same data that I can aggregate if I'm connected to the same. But thing. also, it would be up in the air. So, like, if somebody somebody could stumble upon it. Absolutely. And, and they, can, then, they and could then... use your client software and they could they could use it. So, it's kind of like Windows and Apple. Okay? So, I like Apple software, but you might like Windows. Um, they do completely different things. You see files completely mm-hmm. different ways. You process data completely different. Yeah. You still process data. You still can deal with MP3 files and WAV files and all these other things, but they do it in slightly different ways. It's, it's similar to that. Okay. We're learning really in-depth in depth stuff here, guys. The like, only other honestly. thing that I had written in here was exchanging fiat. Okay, yeah, this was the part that I knew everybody was going to hate because every Bitcoiner in here is going to say, like, you're never supposed to you're never supposed to sell your Bitcoin. How, how fucking dare you? But I'm going to tell you guys this first and foremost. Bitcoin is supposed to make your life better, okay? It, it gives you options. It gives you safety. It gives you security. And... I believe that if you're going to sell your Bitcoin, you better be selling it for a damn good reason and it better be bettering your situation and your life. Okay, so that's what I'm going to say. But we're going to tell Ryan here how he can sell his Bitcoin. So you know how I talked earlier about the exchange wallet that you can send and receive to? Like River. River. Exactly. So if you go to River, if you pull up River on your computer right now. I actually have it pulled up right here. So we're in River, and you see here where it says zero BTC in your Bitcoin, your Bitcoin River wallet. Right. It's got receive and send. Yes. So you can receive to this wallet. So if you click receive, it's going to bring up a wallet address. Okay. So you can copy that wallet address, and okay. you can go to your your blue wallet, and you can you can send money from your blue wallet to this and it will it will send it to the exchange okay and it'll take a couple it'll take a while for it to process does that cost a fee every time you transact on on the main chain you will incur a fee every single time like like anytime you're operating on the on the main chain you will have a fee and now so then is it not the main chain like for instance if i were to throw 75 stats to somebody on amethyst is that not a main no because amethyst used lightning Okay. okay. Lightning okay. is lightning is a second layer when you're because you're connected through your Albi, which has your your it's like Ryan dot Stewart or Wooknut. It's Wooknut, right? It's, it's your it's your your it's my artist the, name. Yeah, artist name. So that's your lightning address. And that's a it's second layer, I guess. I think some people don't consider lightning a second layer, but fuck everybody. I I it's a second layer, okay? Lightning works. Lightning works. Anyways. It, it's all on Lightning. So when I send you 100 sats on Lightning, I don't have to pay a fee for that because it's it's a micropayment. Okay. It's the best I can explain it for now. Okay. Um, but hey, we're going to take a break for a second, guys. And when we come back, we're going to just have a uh, long-form discussion of just kind of like, you know, what's happening in the world, like why I think that Bitcoin can, you know, make the world better and... In a way, like if we how if we fix the money, we can fix the world. You know what I mean? I wanted to I wanted to talk about like what is money, but 
I'm gonna be honest. I, I started listening to the what Robert Breedlove What Is Money show, and I after about 25 episodes, I realized that you can't really describe what is money in one way in under two minutes, and I don't feel like I could give it proper proper justice and tell you what money really is. So if you guys want to know what money is, I suggest you go to the What Is Money show, listen to Robert Breedlove explain it because he does a much better job of explaining what money is and what money is not. But we're going to talk about how in our eyes, in our our opinion, the world is kind of going to shit and how, you know, maybe maybe we're not doomed after all. Maybe there is hope and maybe we can live in a better world. So when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. Alright guys, we are back. We got some uh, cookies. We filled up on some water and some other stuff. You had to go to the bathroom. All that good stuff. And we actually kind of started talking about a little bit of what I wanted to get into in this in this section. So I had to like cut the conversation off. Um, I I mean, honestly, what, what were we talking about? <laughs> kind of just trying to just go about how the world is is getting crazy and it's getting hard to pay for things. I think you you had said like you go to the store and it, instead of it being, you know, $2 for a loaf of bread, it's like it's like $5, $6. It's like you go ahead and continue. We were talking about um uh the, the United States being in debt. Yeah, yeah. But but still continuing to print money and how switching to Bitcoin like that that's never going to get paid. I, I think that like it could it could start getting paid like in small portions like if we started um, allocating like if we started um, basing treasury bonds off of Bitcoin you know what I mean we could allocate like one percent two percent a year and like increase that over time but then theoretically wouldn't for instance the banks then start loaning out bitcoin like they like they do the fiat money which would then in turn devalue bitcoin because the bank would say that they have they're holding five coins however they're loaning out three to chuck seven to stacy works my dude like bitcoin is on a blockchain that that's a ledger that everybody can see so if right but um sorry to cut you off but like because you were saying how um like it's all it's all cryptographic it's all it's all online you know uh you were saying how um uh, was it was it with river that you were saying like river will will say that it's holding this many bitcoin uh-huh. and it's actually holding that many for you or whatever but so so basically on the bitcoin blockchain there's transaction ids that are associated with wallet addresses okay so like if you know someone's wallet address you can see the Bitcoin that is being sent to and from that wallet address. River can disclose publicly what their wallet address is, or some really skilled hacker could find out what it is because it doesn't take it doesn't take that much to like track transactions and group things together and figure out exactly where wallets are coming from. You know what I mean? You could like you could get a really good like coder who knows to, how to read the Bitcoin blockchain data. And they could find out what the government or what they could find out what Chase Bank's wallet was. And they could see all the transactions coming in and out of that because it's auditable by everyone. You know what I mean? So if if Chase Bank, if you gave them five Bitcoin and they loaned out three of your Bitcoin, in theory, 
you would be able to see that they're loaning out that Bitcoin and then you would know like, hey, like you guys are loaning out my Bitcoin. You know what I mean? But here's the catch on that. You know, fiat games are fiat games and rehypothecation when you loan somebody else's money or percentage of somebody else's money out is a fiat game. And when you play fiat games in Bitcoin, there is no nobody to come in and save the day. I mean, okay, so you, you go back to 2008 when all these banks were failing because all these bank runs were happening because people wanted their money out of the banks because they didn't trust them. Okay, they didn't have the, the banks didn't have the money, right? Well, the Fed came in and printed all of the money and bailed the banks out. They gave the banks the funding that they needed in order to, 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 not go insolvent okay well in bitcoin there's only 21 million coins so do you really think that like okay it, let's say chase bank lends they have 5 million or five 500 bitcoin that their customers have given them to hold on their behalf and they decide to loan out 300 of those bitcoin okay let's say I mean, Bitcoin's price is very volatile and it's constantly going up and down based on a, a lot of different things. But let's just say we go through a bear market and the Bitcoin price drops by 80%. If it's $100,000 and it goes to goes to 20000 you know what I mean? That's a significant drawdown. Well, if all of a sudden Chase Bank only has 200 of the customer's Bitcoin and Bitcoin goes to 20000 from 100000 there's going to be a problem because they're not going to have enough money to actually like, like if these customers wanted to pull their Bitcoin out of the fund, out of Chase, sure, sure. they wouldn't have the Bitcoin. Because they and can't just make more Bitcoin exactly. to give to the banks. And so, so you, Wells Fargo isn't going to come in and give Chase Bank a 300 Bitcoin like loan they're like fuck you this is our 300 bit like bitcoin like like you can't handle 300 bitcoin you know what i mean so they'll end up going insolvent and they'll fucking die fiat games can't be played on bitcoin so then okay having um and that that makes total sense but having said that if bitcoin is based off incentives how would the debt be getting paid because where's the incentive to pay the debt well, I'm see I'm this is kind of like where I get lost in the weeds a little bit cuz I I don't understand economics. I don't understand macro like schemes and stuff like that. I'm not the best one to be answering these questions. Um but the way I understand it is like debt is issued through treasury bonds and treasury bills. Um so if if we were backing the treasury bills in Bitcoin, you know, when I buy a treasury bill, I'm loaning money to the government, basically, and they're going to use that money to do something with it. If that that's Bitcoin, you know, theoretically, the the debt could be paid with Bitcoin. Now, paying off the debt that we're in is it we're never going to pay it off. Like honest, honest to God, we are never going to pay it off, and it's owed to the American people. Like like the American people, as far as I know, are the number one buyers of American T bills. So that's who the debt is owed to. So when they print a hundred billion dollars or thirteen trillion dollars or whatever it is, like know that they're stealing from you because American taxpayers, American, you know, four hundred one ks and IRA holders and pension holders, you're, you're allocating your money to these systems, and they're literally printing the money and stealing it from you. And that's why the debt 
can't ever be paid in the nominal terms that we see. You know what I mean? Like Bitcoin would have to, in order to pay the debt off through Bitcoin, Bitcoin would have to hit extreme, extreme highs. And we would have to still base that value in Bitcoin or in, in fiat. And I don't see that happening. What I see happening is the traditional system is, in my, in my view, and I'm not an economist, I'm not a historian, I'm not an educator, I'm just a pleb out here with a nuanced, stupid view. Anyways, you know, I really think that what's going to happen is that the dollar is slowly going to fade out and there will be, it will be digital. Everything's going to be digital. And I think that there will be certain cryptocurrencies that will also vie for attention. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's different pegged cryptocurrencies like USDT is, I think it's tether and it's, it's like pegged to the dollar. I, I'm not saying that's the one that'll, one that it'll be, but like they're stable to the dollar and that might be something that people transact with in on a daily basis because you don't have to incur Bitcoin main chain fees. Um, Cause that is a big problem is like scaling Bitcoin is going to be the biggest issue is like, how do we scale Bitcoin to 8 billion like people that that's really difficult to do in this system. Um, but as like this, hopefully this is a gradually then suddenly process. Like it's going to take, you know, 50 to 60 years for Bitcoin to really take hold in people's minds and then it'll immediately swing to this like oh everybody's on bitcoin well and then do you think that when we get to the point where the whole world is using bitcoin like look at money now not everybody uses the dollar right everybody bases their money off the dollar but not everybody uses the dollar so would we get to a point where America, Germany, and China are all using Bitcoin, or would we have different forms of currency that's all based off of the, the 21 million Bitcoin? I, I think it'll come down to a point where countries will back their currencies with Bitcoin. You know what I mean? Like I said, with like the dollar being backed by by Bitcoin, if we if we allocated um, the treasuries to to Bitcoin, you know, one percent every year, one more percent, you know, up until it was like after a hundred years, it'd be a hundred percent allocated to Bitcoin, and we pay our debts in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, and other countries will do that too. I mean, there. I think I think El Salvador is doing that as we speak they are building a bitcoin treasury and they are they are you know in the green and that's another thing to think about is like as bitcoin goes up in value because more people want it more people demand it you know it's going to take less and less bitcoin to do the things that you want to do so i mean small countries could hold three or four or five bitcoin and when bitcoin hits you know a million dollars a coin a hundred million dollars a coin i don't know if it's going there i'm not i'm not projecting numbers but like if that were to happen then that's enough for them to do what they need to do and pay their debts and it gets to a point where now we start trading value for value and you're not like you're not going to give up this valuable asset for something that's not worth what you think it's worth you know what i mean like i think that's why the world like you see all these shitty products in the world like like plastic that just breaks after two uses like like reusable shit like you go back to a time in like the 1940s and the 1960s and stuff like that like 
things were built to last mm -hmm. you know like you would get something and it would made last of metal ever like like how many people had have a vacuum that their grandmother's mom had you know your grandmother's grandmother had yeah and it's it's clunky it's huge it's heavy but that thing still works and it sucks up all the dirt how many yeah. people do you you know what i mean yeah but a vacuum today, I mean, shoot, I bought a vacuum probably four years ago, and three weeks into having that vacuum, the plastic handle broke, and yeah. I had to tape it up. Well, I think I think that honestly just comes down to greed in a sense. I feel like I feel like there there's a time where people went from making a product because they felt that like it was a good idea or or it was a time saver, mm -hmm. and now they're they're strictly making things based off money. So instead of making a vacuum that's a great quality vacuum that you'd want everybody to buy, you're going to make a vacuum that's more affordable but breaks easier so then somebody just goes out and buys a replacement part mm -hmm, or not... gets another vacuum. Yeah. Well, my, my point was what I was going at is, okay, the reason, the reason they're incentivized to do that is because the con it comes down to the consumer, okay? The consumer is willing to pay for that vacuum. Okay, and the reason we're we may not even think about it, we may not even consciously think about it like this, but this is the the law of 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 market. Okay, so you can get as many dollars as you want. They're they're printed into oblivion. You can go out and work as much as you want and get as many dollars as you want. Can you not? Mm. Okay, so. You're in, you can just buy a new thing. You can just go out and buy a new one if it breaks. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah, it sucks that it broke, but like I'll just go buy a new one. Okay. That's the idea. But on a Bitcoin standard, when there's only 21 million coins and it's extremely difficult to get Bitcoin, you're going to be hard-pressed to sell your Bitcoin, to trade your Bitcoin. Sure. Okay? So what that does, comes coming back to incentives, it incentivizes companies and corporations who create things to create to make them last again to make them last because if the consumer is not willing to pay for something that doesn't last because they're not willing to part with their bitcoin unless they're getting something that is going to last a long time right they're not going to buy it so a company would go out of business unless they actually provide value right that's what bitcoin does it changes the incentives it literally all all across the board it changes the incentives and it gives companies yeah they're still going to be working to get your money like that's why a company goes into business is to make money but if money can't be printed into oblivion and it's very scarce and it's difficult to procure, it should be just as difficult for the corporations to get Bitcoin as it is for you and me. Right? Right. Right. So. Hmm. So Walmart's going out of business. I mean, honestly, they should. They should go out of business. Walmart, Amazon, fuck all those guys. You know, back to the small businesses. I was going to say, because that that's where we're at with it, you know? Like, people choose options like that because... It's cheaper. It's mm -hmm. more convenient. It's easier. It's easier to recuperate 20, 30 bucks to go get an outfit than to go to the mall and yeah. spend $100 on just the t-shirt. Yeah. And and people people need to realize that not everything should be easy. Not yeah. everything should be convenient. Um, you know, we've given a lot of things for convenience. We've given up a lot of our freedoms. And I don't believe that your rights are something that are freely given to you. They are something that you have to stand up and fight for. Um, you know, our grandfathers, our grandmothers, they fought 
for the rights that we believe in today. They, mm -hmm. they stood up and died for the rights that we believe in today. And there are, I would say, 70% of Americans that would not stand up and fight for their rights today. You know, they believe that they're just given to them and that they are inherently what they're allowed to do. And that's that's not true. You know, if you allow the government to take from you, if you like the, that's something that not everybody thinks about. The Constitution was literally written so that a group of men could not abuse their power, the, their power. Yeah. OK, what are we allowing the Republicans and the Democrats and all of them to do. They abuse their power every single day in the name of, of convenience and, and woke idealism and other tyrannical stupid bullshit that I can't agree with. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But on a Bitcoin standard, when you can start fixing the money and the incentives around money, you can start removing politics from money. And you can start removing these systems and you can force people to provide value. Okay, could you imagine? Okay, like, in my opinion, you always, you will always need a government. Okay, you will always need some sort of systematic structure that puts things in place, connects the dots, connects the roads, connects the sewer systems, connects the, the power systems and the grids and all that stuff. Like, you need small community come together to create the government to do that okay well i don't believe that government needs to be as big as it is so if government has to work just as hard as you and i do to create value in the world to make money to fund the projects that they want to do whether that be through taxes or through actual labor you know what i mean they they have to work for it just as hard. And when they're getting it through taxes, when we're being taxed, we're questioning what those taxes are going to. I mean, we should be at least, right? Right. So on Bitcoin, you're able to look at it and say, I don't want to give up my Bitcoin unless it's going to this cause. And you're taxing me this much and you're not even doing. And you could see where it's going. You know what I mean? And you're not doing what you're saying you're going to do with our money. And so I'm going to vote with my money and I'm going to vote with my feet and I'm going to say, fuck you. I'm going to leave. You know, and that's that's the power that we have is as Bitcoiners is we don't have to stay in the same location. You know, we could go naked across the border. With all of our wealth, if we wanted to, if you could remember 12 fucking words, you could go naked across the border and no one can steal your wealth. So you can literally vote with your feet and you can take your wealth with you to vote with your money. You don't have to vote with your words. You don't have to sign a document that says, I vote for this guy or I vote for that guy. I'm not fucking voting this year. I'm not voting for the president. The president doesn't mean shit. The president doesn't do anything but, but act in the way that Congress or the, the whatever systems that are in place want them to, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And if you think that the president has any control over what's happening, then I don't know. Like, honestly, maybe you should go back and like learn a couple things. <laughs> you know what I mean though? Yeah. Like it's just, it, it gets so crazy out there. So I just like, it blows my mind. I, I get so mad. I get, I get like, furious sometimes when people sit there and complain about the issues and then you like bring up like a solution like bitcoin and like well that's just that's just fake internet money that's just that's just not real 
You know, it's like, what do you mean it's not real? Yeah. Well, it's just because you don't understand it, which is what I'm trying to do. Right. And, you know, we're all, it, it, it takes time. And, you know, like, I think that you're learning a lot just from, like, the podcast, just from yeah. listening to me. And I, I don't think I'm the greatest teacher, but I hope that, you know, at least some of what I'm saying is coming across to people and it is helping some people learn some stuff because I'm learning a lot as I as I do the podcast. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I think just in that wallets episode, like just to like know the terms and stuff like I had to I had to do a little bit of research and then talking about it really helped me figure out what I should say. And then I talk about it again. And, you know, I just I slowly learn from there. So it's just it's a process. But. I think uh, I think we're gonna call it there. I think that's enough. Um, Ryan, what have what have you been working on? Like, tell um, people what you've been doing. Well, um, I'm just trying to uh, get SMI going. You know, Stuart Music Incorporated. I'm trying to get it out there and going and get their get the name out there. Uh, I kind of just want to edit podcasts, master podcasts, and uh, mix and master music for mm-hmm. independent artists. You know, people that don't necessarily have the money to do something like that you know to go spend five hundred dollars on a studio session um if if you can get uh an audio file sent over to me then i feel like that's really all that that's needed Mm -hmm. you know um as an artist as a music artist um under the name wook knight uh i have a new album coming out yeah, so uh, when this podcast comes out, it'll be about three weeks from today, which is the ninth. So his his album should be out by then. And I think oh, we're yeah. actually going to do a little bit of the intro and the outro on this episode is going to be from his album. So if you enjoy that, if you like that, please like go go make sure to check it out. And you can check it out on... Yeah, we'll do that. Where, and then Where can they find it? Um, so yeah, uh, I'll have it on Wave Lake. Um, and well, so at this at this time... When this, by the time this podcast comes out, it should be on all major music streaming platforms: Spotify, Apple Music, yeah. YouTube. We want to direct you guys to Wave Lake though, so that you can pay him. You know, pay him some sats. Give the guy, give the guy some sats for his music. You know, he's working hard to do it. This is his passion. This is his dream. And you know, if you guys like it, like, like, send the dude some sats. Like, that's how we, how we provide value. And if you need somebody to edit a podcast or absolutely, please or produce music, a, yeah. If you're a rapper and you need a beat. Anything like that. Anything like that. He does it all. He does a great job. This podcast sounds the way that it does because Ryan works so hard to, you know, produce quality content, quality stuff. And, you know, his work really shows for it. So, you know, just go take a look at these past few episodes. Like, I couldn't have made this podcast the way that it is. And this man just came up and just started doing it out of nowhere. So, like, honestly, I'm so grateful to you, Ryan. Like, I love you, brother. Um, I, I I couldn't do this without you. I super appreciate you, man. Of like, course. You're the shit. Of course, so, Remember, plebs, don't be an NPC. Take back your freedoms. Stay humble and stack sats. Take care.